Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to the AV Podcast Movies Edition. Coming up, we have the latest DVD and HD news. We review Smoking Aces, Happy Feet, Payback Straight Up, and Robin Hood, all on HD DVD. And in our round table this week, we discuss director's cuts and their place within cinema. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. And as always, we start with the DVD and HD news. And up first is Chris. So what do you have for us this week? Right, well, first up we have a UK HD release for... DiCaprio's new film Blood Diamond um, which is coming out from Warner uh, at $24.99 and this was a fairly recent movie set during the Sierra Leone Civil War in the 1990s. DiCaprio plays Danny Archer who is a bit of a mercenary and uh, he is after the elusive pink diamond. Of course there's military junters all around the, uh, the place causing chaos and atrocities and Jaimon Hounsou, who was um, Juba in Gladiator, um, plays a fisherman, um, a loving father who wants to send his son off to, to medical school. Sadly, his son is hijacked by the, uh, these military gun-toting rednecks um, to be brainwashed and trained to be one of their own number, a callous murderer. Whilst they imprison him and to make him work trying to find diamonds in, in, in the riverbeds, a lot of things happen, and obviously uh, DiCaprio and Hounsou are flung together and go on a bit of a, a bit of a learning curve, learning to accept each other and big adventure. It's a great film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And as I say, that comes out on HD on the 18th of June at 24.99. I, that's one I'm going to pick up because I thought it was a great, great movie. Anything uh, else? We have some Region 1 stuff, uh, just standard DVD. It is the Darkman trilogy. And remember, remember this from a long time ago. It was Sam Raimi's comic book venture into superhero territory. It's coming out from Universal. It is $19.98 on the 7th of August. Um, it looks like... I, I wasn't even sure there was three movies in this, to be honest. I just thought there was a couple of them. But you have Darkman, the original, which was directed by Sam Raimi. You have the straight-to-video Darkman 2, The Return of Durant, and Darkman 3. Die, Darkman, die! Uh, it says here that each will be presented in 1.85 to 1 anamorphic widescreen, and they have Dolby Ditch 5.1 surround tracks. Uh, the two-disc collection uh, is coming out, as I say, on the 7th of August. Um, but I don't seem to have any details as to what extra stuff's going to be on these. But there should be something anyway. Um, so that's that's one for the fans, I think, there. OK, thanks, Chris. And uh, moving along, it's now time for Kaz. Kaz, what do you have? Well, in September this year, Buena Vista Home Entertainment are going to be releasing uh, both Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 on UK Blu-ray. Um, these are, of course, uh, Tarantino's um, return to directing double bill Uma Thurman starring revenge thrillers. It's a shame I think that they haven't released them together or edited into even one movie but uh, at least we get to see them on 
on high definition and um, it's looking good for September okay thanks Kaz uh, next up is Seth what do you have uh, sticking with Tarantino on the same date believe it or not they're also bringing out Pulp Fiction uh, again this is going to be on Blu-ray because it's Buena Vista it will retail for $24.99 it will be widescreen PCM 5.1 usual kind of thing no extras announced but yeah, it is arguably his best movie Okay, well, thanks, guys, and that's our DVD and HD news for this week. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. So it's time for this week's reviews, and kicking us off this week is Kaz. Hello, so Kaz, what have you been looking at? Well, after doing March of the Penguins last week, I had the opportunity to check out the CGI alternative, which is Happy Feet. Um, it's a, a, a grander tale of penguins, slightly unusual penguins in that they can uh, sing and one particular special penguin who can't sing and can only dance and has issues with the rest of the flock it's uh, after seeing things like Ice Age, Ice Age 2 it, it is pretty good, it's along the same sort of lines and the, the characters are voiced by people you're likely to recognise like Hugh Jackman Nicole Kidman and I wasn't that impressed for, for the most part of it but then Robin Williams came along and he plays a dual role of like a Latino penguin and um, this crazy ass love god and he's fantastic in it he's really it's classic Robin Williams pre Mrs Doubtfire Robin Williams and it made the rest of the movie for me so I was initially quite unsure about how to deal with more penguins but with Robin Williams it became uh, pretty bearable and in fact quite enjoyable I'm not sure about the whole two film deal why Hollywood or the the studios in general keep releasing two films about very specific things, you know, things like Tombstone and Wyatt Earp in the same year and uh, Armageddon and Deep Impact and now we have Penguins Galore. But if given the choice between this and March of the Penguins, I'd say I enjoyed this more. Visually, it's one of the best HDs I've come across. It's the US HD DVD release and it's a stunning um, picture. Looks fantastic in 1080p. One of the one of the best, uh, whether live action or not live action. It's it's just fantastic. Um, if you want to show off your player's performance, this is a good disc to get. Uh, the sound is very good. I mean, you get a, a Dolby Digital Plus X mix and a Dolby True HD mix, but it's not the kind of movie which I think showcases the best of your sound capabilities anyway. Despite the excellent. Uh, mixes they've chosen to put on it, it, this soundtrack doesn't offer up enough depth to um, to fully utilize that those capabilities you get a bunch of nice extras including some extra scenes um, more Steve Irwin and uh, a couple of music videos um, and uh, overall I thought it was yeah I thought it was pretty good and uh, your kids are certain to enjoy it I gave the movie uh, Seven, the video a ten, uh, the sound a seven, and the extras a seven. Um, so that's overall an eight. <laughs> and that disc was provided for review by Movie Time. This is the AV Podcast. Thanks, Kaz. And moving on, it's time for Chris. Chris, what have you been looking at this week? Oh well, I've been dipping into the uh, nostalgic past with um, an absolute classic from 1938, which is um, Errol Flynn in the Adventures of Robin Hood. An absolute classic movie. Uh, I am a, a big fan of Errol Flynn's movies. I think one of the first films that I ever saw was actually *The Bag with Their Boots On*, and uh, I've certainly, you know, been a fan of his swashbuckling movies ever since. 
And this, of course, is the uh, the quintessential signature movie of Errol Flynn. Uh, it reunites the cast uh, and a lot of the behind the cameras crew from his earlier movie, Captain Blood, which was another outstanding film. So director Michael Curtis was brought on board to help this one along after the original director was, well, the film was going over budget and things weren't going quite according to plan. Uh, I don't think I need to really summarise the plot. Uh, we have Robin Hood, Sir Robin of Loxley, who is fighting a, a sort of guerrilla warfare against the shady um, Sheriff of Nottingham and especially the Prince uh, Prince John, who is Richard the Lionheart's nefarious, scheming, dastardly brother. But of course, the real nemesis would have to be uh, Sir Guy of Gisborne, played splendidly with a dastardly aplomb by Basil Rathbone, who of course could play fantastic villains and also terrific heroes. He was, after all, the quintessential um, Sherlock Holmes in the fantastic Universal series of films that came later on. Uh, you have Olivia de Havilland as um, Maid Marian, who is absolutely gorgeous, radiant in this movie. And at the time of production, Errol Flynn, of course, was allegedly having his wicked way with her as well in real life. Um, and, you know, good luck to him. It is a great, great film. It's, ve it's very, very camp. This is a a film where men prance around in green tights with her hands on the hips striking very pantomimic sort of stances and spouting dialogue which literally could make your hair curl. It is so so ridiculous but so sublime and brilliant as well. The fight choreography is, uh, is quite outstanding for its time and one thing I'd urge you to look at is the fact that Errol Flynn is really, really going OTT to try and be better than, especially um, Basil Rathbone, who in fact was a better swordsman. But if watch him in the fight scenes, he's throwing himself around. Now, these are well choreographed and well rehearsed, but Flynn just cannot help but overstep the mark. He barely keeps on his feet during a couple of these scenes because he's really, really going for it. But it's, it's great, great stuff. Great escapist fare. Of course, this is from the glory days of Technicolor. And it's one of the first films that Warners did in Technicolor. And of course, they've been renowned for their, their gritty gangster movies of the time. And of course, originally they wanted James Cagney, Jimmy Cagney, to play Robin Hood. It couldn't really have worked. You cannot imagine you know, the diminutive Cagney swinging from trees, from you know, vine from vine sort of thing, and shinning up um, castle walls to go and woo Maid Marian. It just really, it would have been hysterical. Well, the film is hysterical, but it would have been far, far worse and far less believable had he been in the role. But there are some great, great moments in there, some classic moments. I'd urge you to look at one of the, one of the best bits during a, a forest banquet. Robin Hood and his band of merry hoodies have hijacked Guy of Gisborne and this procession of gold escorting you know, soldiers and knights. But Maid Marian is amongst them. Now, of course, she's a Norman and she can't stand. She's, you know, the propaganda against the Saxons and Robin in particular. You know, she hates him. And they treat all their, their captives to this fantastic feast. And uh, then when he's finally beginning to win her over, he takes her, to, takes her to one side and shows her all the peasants who've had their ears lopped off, their tongues cut out. You know, a right bunch of, you know, <laughs> scraggy looking humanity who've all been the victims of Norman oppression. And she, she realises why he's doing all this, and she just says to him, you're a strange man, Robin. 
and it cuts to a great shot of Robin standing there, hands on hips, in his green tights and his rather strange little hat. And he says, ha ha, you think me strange, my lady? Well, who wouldn't think him strange? He's a really bizarre looking dude, especially with his page boy haircut. But he has such a twinkle in his eye and such an enthusiasm for the role, it's impossible not to warm to him. It really is one of the definitive swashbucklers. Douglas Fairbanks had done um, a version in 1922, a silent version, which again was a great epic production. But this one is the, is the yardstick by which all uh, Robin Hood movies are you know, obviously measured. And uh, it, without a doubt, there's, there's no way that the, the subsequent adventures on celluloid or TV have come anywhere near to the, uh, the rip-roaring, you know, daring-do and cavalier attitude that this one maintains. All the set pieces are there. The meeting of all the merry men, Friar Tuck, Little John. You know, you have the archery contest, the big battle at the end, the return of, of, of King Richard. It, it's, it's great showboating stuff. And of course, this was released um, a couple of years ago actually a bit longer than that, about three years ago, maybe four years ago, on a fabulous double disc special edition, which was just so, so full to brimming with um, with that special features. And, and the restored print looked absolutely glorious. And now, of course, on HD. Now, this is quite an old release for HD as well. And this is the, this is the American HD disc I'm reviewing right now, supplied by Movie Time. This came out way back last year. Uh, it's the first time I've had a chance to look at it, though, and it is absolutely pristine. For a film from 1938, this is almost 70 years old, this looks absolutely astonishing. I've seen it written that it's actually, it looks like a watercolour brought to life. Well, it, it certainly does. And Okay, yeah, there's a, the film definitely shows its age in certain aspects. There's a slight haziness to it. Um, certain parts of the screen don't look quite as highly defined as certainly the middle section of the screen, the, of the image. And this is a 1.33 to 1. Uh, image full screen and uh, but it looks absolutely tremendous color wise it is rich and it, it throbs with vitality the primary colors the costumes the faintly ridiculous costumes especially um, what's his name Will Scarlet the particularly wooden actor but uh, you know he just looks totally OTT the forest the, the Californian um, hills where it was all filmed not exactly Sherwood Forest I know but it has a they have a haunting sort of beautiful cast to them some of the uh, the day for night shooting which is ne never looks that good in any kind of movie but actually does look pretty effective here because of the, the pure beautiful um, spectrum that it's employed the palette is just so captivating to look at damage wise well there isn't any there's a, there's a fair bit of grain but I guarantee after the first couple of scenes you're not even gonna notice that the depth of field that's there as they're riding through the uh, the woods uh, great great depth of field three-dimensionality obviously not on a par with like later releases but it is still very very good you've got to bear in mind this is such an old movie and the restoration is absolutely impeccable and it really bodes well for um, a lot of other older movies personally I can't wait for the old universal horrors to come out a long time ago I did say that I doubted they'd ever look any good in high definition because it would show up all the flaws but having seen the likes of this and the searches and Casablanca my god you know I the high definition process really really does work for them and uh, sound wise well you're not going to get a lot from this it's all, it's Dolby Digital Plus but it, it's it's in mono now to be totally honest I had to turn it up quite a bit to really get to a comfortable level but once you have reached the level that you, you're happy with you know everything's there the, the dialogue is discernible very very clear and crisp but the thing that obviously benefits the most is, uh, is the fabulous score by Eric Wolfgang Korngold, the Oscar-winning score, 
which is rousing and exciting, also camp and silly and comical in places, but that certainly manages to project itself into the room and uh, it is a great, great addition, obviously, well looked after. But, uh, of course, what's on this is every single special feature, which was obviously ported over from the original two-disc special edition, and there is a whole you know, raft full of stuff here. You've got a commentary track by film historian Rudy Bellmer, who is ubiquitous to a lot of these older movies. And sadly, it's a bit of a dry track, but boy, does he know his stuff. I like it, but I think it's probably best taken in small doses. Little bite-sized snippets, you know, as you've as you've watched the movie, just flick it over to the uh, the comedy track. But it's uh, you know, it's got everything you could possibly want from it. You have another great feature, which is, which was certainly on the uh, the old box set of Errol Flynn movies, which came out a while ago, which didn't include Robin Hood, but did include some other classics. Was um, Warner Night at the movies, which attempted it's, it's a function where if you activate it, you'll be treated not to not only the movie, but you'll have a little introduction from some historian but you will have the trailers that played alongside that movie on its original theatrical release, plus a, a vintage newsreel, plus some other little tiny featurettes and that which were all shown as part of the overall theatrical package. And it really does add to the whole, the whole thing, the whole atmosphere. Very, very well recommended. You've got two in-depth documentaries. Welcome to Sherwood, the story of the adventures of Robin Hood, which is basically a retrospective making of. A lot of familiar faces pop up in this. You have a brief overview of the movies that came up before, uh, leading up to this one and it's, it is a really really good documentary lasting almost an hour then you have another one glorious technicolor which is obviously a whole documentary devoted to the, the technicolor uh, process how it came in what happened to it over the years and why it met its demise hosted by the soothing tones of Angela Lansbury who's done a lot of these sort of retrospective documentaries and you have all this stuff, Robin Hood Through the Ages, which is excerpts of the original versions, the Douglas Fair, Fairbanks 2022 silent version, uh, a journey to share with Forrest, Basil Rathbone, and the composer discussing home movies and which were shot during, during production. You've got some classic cartoons, Rabbit Hood, Robin Hood Daffy, uh, Splitting the Arrow, which is a, a, a massive compilation of, uh, of galleries from you know conceptual artwork to wardrobe to, you know, different designs, cast and crew profiles, and stuff. hundreds of stuff there. You've got two more vintage um, shorts, Cavalcade of Archery and the Cruise of the Zaka. Breakdowns of 1938 is a studio blooper reel running about seven minutes, plus you have a 40 minutes of outtake scenes as well with introductions and a narration. Uh, these, yeah, these are okay, they, they add to the package. But another great frame enthusiasts would be several audio-only bonuses, which of course you've, you've got the Oscar-winning soundtrack, in its entirety playing there in, in full Dolby Digital and that's that's a joy to behold again. You have the Robin Hood radio show. Now I've got to be honest, I've not listened to this as yet. I never heard it on the original version and I haven't heard it yet. But, you know, obviously there's so much stuff here, it takes take your time to go through it. Plus you've got some, uh, some corn gold piano sessions as well, which is, again, another audio track, but worth listening to if you're into this particular composer and scores from, you know, you know Warner's heyday golden era of Hollywood and then you have the Errol Flynn trailer gallery which again features some of his other classic movies basically folks you know I've got to recommend this certainly the people who may not have seen it uh, and, and you know they've been brought up on a staple diet of the action movies of today it's gonna seem camp it's gonna seem silly but it gets by on such boundless enthusiasm it's funny it's wacky it's exciting 
it's not that long a movie, but it, it seems to pack so much into it. It feels epic, and that that that's great. It's a lesson to filmmakers of today who make, and you know, I, I actually quite like long movies, but the whole concept of swallowing afternoon films like Gladiator, Kingdom of Heaven, that's Mr. Ridley Scott coming up with two of them there, and you know that kind of movie, you know, the whole thing here is encapsulated in in less than two hours, and it's you know fantastic stuff. So I can only recommend it wholeheartedly, and of course the the, uh, the restoration job really holds up well with high definition. So overall, I'm going to give the film well, I'm going to give it 10 out of 10. The, the film and the package overall, it is the truly definitive version to have of an absolute classic movie. So there you go, The Adventures of Robin Hood, Errol Flynn, possibly at his finest, and. Uh, Snap it up, folks. This is the AV Podcast. So, Kaz, moving on from Happy Feet, you've been looking at something a little bit more um, uh, violent? Yeah, I had the opportunity of reviewing uh, Payback on HD DVD. It's the US release, um, and uh, it is it is this new straight-up director's cut. Now, ever since Payback came out, I've intrigued about the alternate cut. I'm sure a lot of people have heard rumours about it, but uh, many of the video covers, and certainly the soundtrack covers, sported a picture of Mel Gibson uh, shooting um, from a scene that wasn't in the original theatrical release. And I was always intrigued to know what that was from. And if you read about it, you find out there was a completely new cut, and, um, and I'd always wanted to, to see that. And basically, uh, a couple of years ago, the director got the opportunity to revisit the material and re-edit it into what he calls his director's cut, without any studio or Gibson-like interference into it. And uh, it's a very different movie. It's possibly the most different director's cut I've I've ever come across. It's um, it's much darker, much bleaker. The the character is just uh, relentlessly. Uh, nasty. He's. It's so difficult. For him. He, he, they still make you root for him, but it's. There's no comedy there. There's no. Um, there's no nice side to this guy. He just wants his money, and he pretty much shoots everybody to get it. Sometimes even in cold blood. Um, there's plenty of extra violence. There's. He gives his wife a serious beating, um, and you can see why some of these scenes just never made it into the original theatrical release. But as a film um, that we can revisit now, it's. It's a very very excellent uh, film noir thriller it's um, it's top notch I'd highly recommend it I, I can't it's difficult to say which is a better movie because they're so completely different but if I had to pick one if I could only see one it would be this cut it's a, it's a superior cut for me but both of them have their benefits um, on HD the picture is is excellent for a movie that's shot with this tickled dirty sort of gritty look it looks excellent they've removed the blue hue that was that was throughout the entire theatrical edition and so it's all normal tones here and they've kept the grain to a minimum but I think they needed a certain level just to give it that atmosphere uh, but it looks it looks very good in 1080p uh, we only get a Dolby Digital 5.1 Plus track, um, but it's still a good effort. Uh, it's a new soundtrack, um, again redone. I think 2006 soundtrack, rescored, um, and it it's pretty good. It's not quite as uh, prominent as the previous soundtrack, or in your face with lots of tracks, catchy tracks, and uh, big tunes blasting out at you as he, as Porter runs around shooting people. Um, it's much more low key, and it suits the the darkness 
uh, and seriousness, relentlessness of the movie. Um, we get lots of extras, and oddly enough, they're they're really really watchable. They're they're all to do with how the director's cut was put together, and it's got everybody there contributing uh, what they thought honestly about what happened. And uh, even Gibson is trying to explain uh, how this all came to pass, and uh, and the directors there, and they're all being brutally honest about what happened, how it messed up, how they had to refilm the end, and, and revisiting it now. And it's all worth a listen uh, or a watch, <laughs> depending on whether it's a commentary or a featurette. But it's good stuff. Um, overall, I gave Payback a nine for the movie, um, an eight for the picture, uh, eight for the sound, and a nine for the extras, and uh, it got a, a sum total of nine. Um, and it's an excellent release well worth picking up for your collection this is the AV podcast so thanks to Kaz for those two reviews and moving back to Chris he's gotten over his Robin Hood fetish now with his tights <laughs> and he's going to review well, what is it you're going to review now I'm going to review Smoking Aces this is um, a combo disc for, it's the American HD uh, with the standard edition on the flipper side uh, now this was a movie by Joe Carnahan who made the excellent movie Narc a few years ago with Ray Liotta and um, Jason Patrick and what a wonderful movie that was too so I totally expected to be blown away by this one um, and to be quite honest there's a lot to like about this film as well this is clearly inspired by the English multiple assassin caper genre which sort of loosely sprang up a long time ago and also in no small measure Guy Ritchie's Lockstock as Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. It's very, very sort of of that genre. Um, Helter Skelter characters thrown together. Uh, you have bizarre editing and you know fast forward, flashback, zoom in sort of styles. The, the camera is kinetic and it's everywhere at once. And everybody in the cast is an oddball. They've all got quirks and weird traits. And apart from the assassins who all combined together to fill it for the big bloodbath that made this film quite infamous. We have um, Jeremy Piven, who plays uh, an illusionist come showman from Las Vegas, who was in with the mob, who is now about to blow the whistle on his mob cronies, and the FBI wants him, he wants to strike a deal with the FBI, he needs protection. Well, somehow or other, the contract gets out on his name, and all of a sudden, you have neo-Nazi death squads, you have chameleon face-changing assassins, you have hitmen, you have a, a lesbian sort of couple, which is Alicia Keys and her lesbian buddy, with a high-powered, you know, massive assault rifle that they've got. And everyone seems to be converging on this one hotel in um, Reno. He's got the penthouse suite, he's got security guards up the wazoo, he's got everything. But he's also got an extremely bad case of anxiety, he's co-caddled, he knows that you know things aren't looking too good for him, and into this mix you have the two fans who've got to try and get this guy to safety. And again, it's Ray Liotta who was in NARC as well. And uh, the always underrated Ryan Reynolds, who, you know, he's not, he's not, it's not the biggest name around, but uh, he, he gives his all to every role he's in, even the, the, the rather naff movies that he's made so far, including the Amityville Horror remake. But he's, he's great in this. Now, there's, there's a few problems with this movie. It doesn't seem to know what kind of film it wants to be. For the first, I don't know, first half certainly, you are talking action, drama, comedy. Now there's a lot of comedy. It's uh, it's anarchic, it's stupid, it's wild, it's unpredictable. Um, there's a sort of like Tarantino-esque sort of um, spark to the verbals. 
Oh, I forgot to mention you've got Ben Affleck in there as well. An actor I don't rate, don't like, unless he's in Daredevil, that is, and uh, which I did like. Um, who's playing a bail bondsman who is him and his two mates are recruited to go and go and get you know this, this uh, smoking aces. He actually the Jeremy Piven's character by the way is called um, what's he called? Buddy Israel. Buddy Aces Israel. That's where the title comes in. And uh, in case you all thought that was just making the whole thing up. Yeah, so as I say, the tone is kind of anarchic, kind of weird. You've got the sparky verbals, you've got lots of oddball characters. It's bizarre. And then all of a sudden, once the big bloodbath begins, and this, the whole film has been building up to this bloodbath, you're expecting this, and you're expecting a lot from it. It's not quite what you hoped for. And so all of a sudden, the film takes a very sort of downbeat sort of tone and becomes a bit of a tragedy. Now, you know... A lot of films play with moods and tones quite successfully. Um, just at the top of my head, things like Soldier Blue, an, an ancient but classic movie, started off sort of action western, then became a knockabout comedy, and then became an out-and-out absolute tragedy and you know a horrific um, anti-stance about war. And it, but it all worked. Now, Smoking Aces, it pulls the rug from under you. It's a simple, it's a simplistic plot. It's a fairly basic sort of, you know, uh, linear plot, but told in such a helter-skelter, frenetic kind of way that it's all very interesting, all very unpredictable. But all of a sudden, Joe Carnahan, who also wrote the movie as well, uh, pulls the rug from under it, and it doesn't feel right. It just doesn't seem to work. He's built you up. He's built everything up to such a huge sort of crescendo, where it's gun-toting, it's violence. It's, there's a lot of swearing in it, but it's you know it's it's good adult comedy, action comedy, and then all of a sudden it turns extremely sour and glum, and oh dear, and that is not a good turnabout. Um, having said that, I I did like the film. Um, I mean I rated it a seven for the actual movie itself uh, because you know it, it does keep the attention. You're not too sure what's going to happen next. Uh, some of the situations and scenarios are indeed very funny um, there's a, a, an incredible moment a really surreal moment you have this trio called the Tremor Brothers who are these neo-nazi goons they're chainsaw wielding machete wielding machine gun wielding maniacs they're absolute nut jobs but they're pure comic books they don't they couldn't possibly exist ever and but there's one particular scene I'm not going to give too much away but it involves the lead character out of the trio talking to um, a famous person's corpse, shall we say, and working the dead person's jaw to <laughs> to have a conversation with him. And it's just so, what the hell is that about? It's funny, but it's also, ooh, goes on for quite some time. Is there a point there? Is it just completely irreverent stuff? Well, who knows? Make up your own mind. Basically, I liked it, but... I did expect a hell of a lot more from Joe Carnahan, um, and you know, sadly, it, it didn't seem to um, to meet the exact sort of uh, climax that I expected. But anyway, um, as I say, this is an HD combo. Uh, I checked out the standard version, and it's no surprise to find out that the uh, the 2.35 to 1 um, HD version, you know, obviously outshone it in virtually every department. Uh, it, it is a very good picture, but the, the thing about this, it's 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 one of those films where, like Domino, the recent Domino, Tony Scott, I think, directed it. You have a lot of different lighting and very bizarre styles with editing. 
camera angles. It's not an easy film to really, you know, sit back and, 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 and you know, really dissect visually because there's so much going on all the time. What I can say is that the colours are good. There's times when it's oversaturated on purpose and then it's desaturated. You have the high contrast look, then low contrast look. You have a lot of quirky sort of, you know, uh, visual tricks taking place. But they're meant to, it's, and the transfer reflects that, you know, perfectly. Um, on the digital side of things, the compression side, I saw no errors whatsoever. Uh, very little in the way of edge enhancements. Uh, there's a smattering of grain there, but that, that actually helps the filmic quality of the movie itself, um, and does not detract at all. Three-dimensionality, yes, there's a few sequences where you definitely get that, you know, the 3D pop from the image, which is nice. A great scene, uh, which has three of the main characters stood talking around the uh, boot of their car and in the background you have um, a lake in the back and beyond that you have you know, tree covered hills and it, it does seem to pop from the screen it's a lovely image and um, as I say it can be dark at times but it can be very light it's just that's just the nature of this particular style of filming the soundtrack is a Dolby Digital Plus 5.1 now again this is particularly weird uh, because although it's, there's a lot of gunplay in this and you have high velocity rounds whamming through windows and high rises and blowing up you know, walls and mortar and people getting blown apart left, right and centre yes, there's a fair bit of whip around stuff in there but it's still not quite you know, up there with some of the best that I've heard in fact, it falls some way short but you, know, you, you are immersed in the movie the full speakers get the, uh, get the work out without a doubt um, dialogue is always crystal clear uh, the, the, the score well this is where the problem comes in the bass I think is not particularly brilliant in this movie dis despite the subject matter and the uh, the kind of things that are taking place in it but the bass seems to reinforce the soundtrack now particularly in the first sort of third of the film you have a kind of like a work in progress sort of cue which it is quite fast up tempo but the bass seems to underscore this to a, a really sort of ludicrous degree um, at first I thought that there's something wrong with this disc or something wrong with my setup, but I passed it to a friend of mine as well who's got, you know, who has HD, and he, without telling him exactly what the problem was, I asked him what he thought about the sound, and he, he said exactly the same thing. There's something wrong with the sound there. The bass is weird during the first half. It's in the wrong place. It's it's reinforcing the soundtrack when it should be, you know, the, the score when it should be reinforcing some of the uh, the bombastics of the of the gunplay. But aside from that, you know. Overall, it, it's, it is a good immersive track. There's a lot taking place, and you know, if you can live with that strange sort of bass, if you happen to have that version as well, then uh, you know, you shouldn't have too much to complain about, really. Now, extras-wise, well, there's actually quite a bit on this, and and it's quite good stuff as well. You have uh, the U control function, which is basically just the you know, the, the in-movie experience type of thing we've seen before. But once you access this, you have a uh, well, it's a picture-in-picture picture. again. You have while the movie's playing, you have lots of interviews and behind-the-scenes footage. Very good. Some of it, some of it is as well, and you can pick and choose what sort of function you want when the icon pops up. But you have a nice little uh, gimmick which has been thrown onto this. You have an assassin tracker, and, and this what 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 will this will do? Give you 3D schematics and Google Maps, and when you activate this, it tells you where each individual killer and hitman. Uh, happens to be whether they're on en route to this hotel battlefield that it's going to become, or actually in the hotel at the time. Um, you can also access another feature, which is the leaderboard, 
the Hitman leaderboard, which basically tells you uh, their status, how many kills they've made so far, what physical condition they're in. Um, <laughs> it, 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 sound, it, it, it sounds quite gimmicky, and indeed it is. And the thing is, once you're, as you're watching the movie, the, the problem is that you know exactly where everyone is and what they've done. So it really is just a, a one-watch sort of affair. But it's nice to see they're actually thinking of something, you know, it, it's not exactly the most groundbreaking of things to put on, but it's it's nice that they've, they've made the effort to do, to do something. It looks kind of neat. As well, you have two commentary tracks. Joe Carnahan is on both of them. Uh, the first one with the editor, Robert Frazen. And the next is with um, quite a host of some of the lesser stars from the movie. But both uh, commentary tracks are brilliant. Um, very funny, full of anecdotes, full of... Uh, Lots of humour and very, very chatty, very talkative and good stuff. I enjoyed them both. Then you have a selection of featurettes. You have an alternate ending called the Cowboy Ending. I won't say too much about that, but it's, once you see it, it's quite obvious why it was called the Cowboy Ending. You have um, another featurette, which is the lineup, that's just introduced to the main characters in the movie. Again, some of these sort of give it loads. Some of them do it in character, like the Tremor Brothers who uh, really are pretty wild sort of dudes. Ryan Reynolds, it takes it a little bit seriously. I mean, you, you get the impression from a lot of the, uh, the extras that this was kind of initially in, at the script stage meant to be his movie, or his character's film. He was our access to the, uh, the plot and the narrative. And although he, take, he plays sort of second, maybe even third fiddle to some of the other people who are in it, it does become his film towards the end. And, and he does make a, a very good job of it, I have to say. I, I do like him. Uh, the Big Gun is a 20 or so minute look at the making of the film, but mainly we're looking at uh, Joe Carnahan, and uh, it's basically a sort of a sort of snapshot diary of the days of making the movie. And Joe Carnahan is without a doubt a funny, wacky dude, and I like him. I just wish the film had actually been better, but there you go. Shoot 'em up is the stunts and effects, and quite obviously this just shows you the pyrotechnics and you know the gunplay that went into it. You have a selection of outtakes as well. Now, these are good. These are, we are talking here, your Dennis Norton style things, where people are fluffing their lines, they're, um, they're, they're drying up, they're falling over, they're getting things wrong, and it is funny. And once again, you have um, Ben Affleck, who is trying to make this pool shot uh, take after take after take. It's not boring, it actually is, it had me laughing out loud, it was great, and in fact, I watched it all over again, because it was funny. Um, you also get 18 minutes of deleted and alternate scenes. Not a great deal here of worth, to be honest. But it, it's some of them are just longer sequences, to be honest. But there is uh, an alternate version of something which is quite funny, I have to say. Um, so it's overall, we're not talking a bad selection. It's not exhaustive by any means, but it's in tone with. <laughs> well, there's the funny thing. It's in tone with the first half of the film, which is irreverent and wild and bizarre and strange. So it fits in with all of that, but uh, it's, it's a good selection. Overall, I gave the extras a 7 out of 10, because they're just so enjoyable. And my verdict overall for it, well, the overall score was a 7 out of 10, which is perhaps a little bit generous, considering that you know it does make a bit of a, a gaffe plot-wise and tone-wise. But it's a film I will watch again, and I've got a strange feeling it'll, it'll be a bit of a grower. If you watch it, you like it, and return to it, I, I think you'll appreciate it all the more. I've seen it twice now, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's the way it's going to be. Uh, I'll, I'll return to it again. So yeah, anyway, I'm recommending it. Yeah. Thanks very much, Chris, and that's our reviews for this week. And thanks to Movie Time 
for supplying HD DVDs for review. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. This week's roundtable discussion. And it's time again for another roundtable. And this week we are talking about the subject of director's cuts versus the theatrical versions and which ones we prefer and whether we agree with the whole director's cut thing. So let's kick things off with Kaz, because Kaz, you reviewed uh, a director's cut this week, which you said you preferred. So um, what do you think about the whole director's cut thing? Largely, I think it's a big cash cow for studios and um, to be able to re-release a film with often just the deleted footage put back in in order to make a supposedly different cut. But occasionally, and primarily this is spawned by um, how I felt about the new cut payback, you come across something which is completely different. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's like an entirely different movie. And that, I think, is a valid use of this director's cut um, idea um, and is worth investing in for a second copy of the film. I can think, think of plenty of recent films that have seen director's cuts, particularly on DVD. You pick up your first edition, which is pretty much bare bones. You pick up a special edition, which has deleted scenes and commentaries and featurettes. And then there's an extended edition, which generally just incorporates scenes back in. Um, but as I said, occasionally you can come across completely different versions of films. Um, Alexander is a prime example of where it's just getting ridiculous. It's going to see its third cut soon. Um, could they not get it right with the first cut? There are, there are studios that have clearly decided to milk the market for all it's worth with different releases. Um, but then the flip side is that you do get one or two films out there that see really valid director's cuts. And, uh, and it's well worth stumping out your cash to see them. One of the main directors who seems to um, give us his director's cuts now and again for his films is, uh, is Ridley Scott, Chris. And... Um, We've seen a couple of director's cuts from Ridley in the last few years, and it always seems to change his movies, doesn't it? Yeah, he likes to have a, a dabble round with his films, doesn't he? I mean, they've nearly all had different versions coming out, and uh, to be honest, I, I think I've liked all the director's cut versions far more than the original theatrical cuts as well. And some of them aren't necessarily even longer, are they? Like Blade Runner is actually a few minutes shorter, and a much more coherent and better movie. Uh, obviously, his version of Alien, again, is shorter, and I like his version of it, his director's cut of Alien, but it, it's missing one of my favourite moments in it there, which uh, had Dallas alone in the talking to Mother, asking what his chances were, and it's a splendidly eerie moment, and had just that one scene been kept in, the director's cut would have been, well, perfection, really. I mean, you had the cocoon sequence back in there, didn't you? The infamous cocoon sequence. God, I mean... How they could imagine cutting these things in the first place, but um, it's not necessarily um, a cash cow with some of these directors. I mean, they they've struggled with studios and their, you know, the suits um, who are putting the money up, who have a different vision of the movie in the first place, and well, they're they're looking towards the market, aren't they? Obviously, now the director, if he's got the passion and he's created this thing. He wants to see his version out there. He knows he's got to compromise at some point, as every filmmaker will have to do. And uh, But I think the, the, the good thing is that you, you can now find a market, an outlet, for that original vision, which is DVD, obviously. And, uh, I mean, yeah, Ridley Scott, Gladiator, the, ex- the extended version of Gladiator, which, incidentally, he doesn't claim that that's his director's cut. I mean, he, it's just an extended version. 
I prefer it, obviously. You can't have too much Gladiator, as far as I'm concerned. Great stuff. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a more enjoyable film, I think, as well, because there's just so much more to wallow in, basically. Um, Kingdom of Heaven. Now, of course, the theatrical cut for that was mangled beyond belief. The theatrical, the theatrical cut was terrible. A terrible, botched movie. There was lots of good bits in there, but you could quite clearly see that the film was broken and just stitched back together. Now, being cynical at the time, I thought, well, I'm gone. I know what you're going to do here. You're going to release a director's cut at some point, and you've deliberately you've done this on purpose. Um, but then again, you've got to look at three-hour-long movies in the cinema now. You know, they're trying to get so many showings in at the time. Again, Ridley Scott had wrangles with the um, the producers and the, the studio, so he had to bring a different version, and it wasn't finished. It wasn't ready at the time. So, again, the compromise was made, and it wasn't a good one. It comes along on the director's cut on DVD and Blu-ray now and it is a much much better movie a film that struggled to, to have gained a 5 out of 10 all of a sudden becomes a whopping 9 out of 10 in my eyes because the scenes put back into that deliver so much more there's so much more character there's so much more the, the pace is better to the film and you've got all the, the reasons the motivations why people are doing things it's a much much better movie and of course long films like this in fact, it's not necessarily longer, as I said before, but um, you know, DVD is the, the way to go for those because you haven't got to buy it. You can quite happily stick with your theatrical cut. But if you're interested in the film and you want to explore exactly what the director, or you know, variations on what the director wanted to show you, you know, it's it's worth picking up. The thing is, I'm gullible for these things. I'm <laughs> Spider-Man what 2.1. Well, yeah, sadly, I've had to go and pick that up as well. And was it worth it? Uh, no, <laughs> not exactly. We did but, try to tell you. I know you did, but I did say that it wasn't going to work. I, I was, I'd have to get it. And if they brought out a, a 2.1.2 or something, I'd end up picking that up as well. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a glutton for these things. But as Cass said, you know, occasionally one, you know, some will come along which are obviously shining examples of what the director originally had in mind. I don't think Alexander's going to be one. Uh, because that the old adage about not polishing a certain thing certainly springs to mind. But they're not uh, aliens. There's another one, James Cameron's um, extended cut of Aliens. Well, I don't know what you guys thought, but uh, initially I loved that. I thought, wow, we've got you've got more stuff here. This is a lot longer, much better movie. Actually, looking at it now, I don't think it is. It's I'd still watch it over the original theatrical cut because it's got that marvelous scene with the uh, the sentry guns. The robot guns, great, great scene, but one great scene does not a great movie make. And uh, that is a film that watching it now certainly seems far too long for its own good. But then again, that's probably me basing it on the fact that I love Alien more than Aliens. That's another story. So, Seth, um, a lot of these director's cuts come around because they have to make certain choices during uh, putting the film together, during the editing phase. But then again, we also have studio politics on top of that. So do you feel sorry for directors in a way that maybe their original version or original vision doesn't make it to the big screen? I suppose it really depends on sort of um, the director and the politics behind it. I mean, if you take the sort of the one that instigated this, which was Payback, um, then yes, I mean, there was an idea of a script. If they wanted it shot a certain way, they wanted the style done a certain way, they wanted the plot a certain way, and it never happened. So in that instance, you know, you you got you got to kind of feel sorry for for the creative process. And then you take something like um, Star Wars, where 
the, the, the bearded one goes back and tinkers and tinkers and tinkers and tinkers because his argument is the technology wasn't there at the time and you're just thinking to yourself you know just leave the bloody thing alone you know that was great for 1977 you don't have to keep on reintroducing it and reinventing it just because just you know walk away put the mouse down just let it stand on its own merits of which it has few had to get a jar, jar, uh, another shot a, in it. A jar, jar, jibe in there. A jar, jar, jibe. Yeah, I had to get a shot in it. To, but uh, it is a classic example that, um, he, in his director's cuts, if you want, in his re-tinkering, re-imaging, um, he's probably made it a lot worse. You know, Greedo shot first, for example, um, doesn't sit with the fanboys at all well. Yeah. Um- I guess this brings us on to the previous screenings as well, which seems to be the latest fad that's been going around for some time now in Hollywood where you show the film to uh, an advanced audience just to see how the film plays out. And, uh, you know, some will argue it's been around for a long time, but the studios seem to... It could make or break a film these days on how that audience reacts to seeing the film early. So do you think that it's a... Uh, something that they should maybe do away with and just stay with the the director's original vision cards? Yeah, I I think that would actually be a good idea to stay away from those preview screenings because I don't know which audience they're picking, but nine times out of ten they get it wrong. And um, I think they should just go with the original cut. And if they feel the need to revisit it at some later stage, then at least you've got the director's cut at the outset. I don't like the idea of these preview screenings because I do think that in all of these situations you've heard where it failed at the preview screening. Like in Payback, apparently, if you listen to the featurettes and the commentary, everyone wanted it to be another Lethal Weapon instalment. It's not designed to be a Lethal Weapon instalment, and uh, they should have just left it alone at the outset. Uh, I, I think that, yes, if it would help, get rid of the previews. One director who seems to have suffered more than others is Terry Gilliam. We all remember the debacle with Brazil back in the early 80s. And... For some reason, he seems to have taken the the easy way out now um, when it comes to his filmmaking. You just have to look at The Brothers Grimm, which was very uh, un-Gilliam-like. And um, same again with 12 Monkeys. Um, It seemed to be that there was a lot of studio interference. So do you think there's there's far too much studio interference nowadays, uh, Chris? Oh, without a doubt, yeah, because it's, uh, it's business, isn't it? Like with the preview screenings, that is just purely marketing. They want to see if their product is going to work. So the poor director, uh, the filmmakers, the writers, the ones who put their passion and heart and soul into these things, um, are getting you know ridden roughshod over, and it's you know it, it it is terrible. Gilliam, yeah, he's suffered, but he wants his movies out there in some form or another. Um, so yeah, the studios actually have far too much power. Um, of course, they're backing these films. Of course, they're pumping the money into it, but they should actually sit back and realise that. So long as they pick the, well, the right person is steering the ship, the right person is making that film. Put the trust in him. Let's just see what he can come up with. As Cass said, you can always, at a later date, now that you have the home entertainment um, angle, you can go back and recoup your losses because how much money are they making from DVDs now? You know, there's a lot of talk about you know, the, the end of the cinema because people are getting a better version at home with better sound systems, you know, and, you know, without the whole horrible environment of being in the flicks and being attacked and knifed by hoodies and stuff like that. And the over the tea over the over the tea over the top price of uh, the tickets. Which cinemas so, do you go to? Well, it's fairly rife. I keep hearing horror stories about cinemas. I try not to go. I only go to preview showings. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah. 
But yeah, studios, yeah, they, they, they have too much power and they wield it wrongly as well. They, these are people who are into marketing and making money. They're not trying to make a piece of art, not trying to tell a story. They're not getting the film out there the way that the audience might want to see it. And again, someone made the point earlier, the wrong audiences are being brought into these screenings. So yeah, it's committee making film, you know, and it's, it's, it, it is wrong. Wrong audiences, Americans. Anyway, let's move this conversation on and start to round it off. And um, which director's cuts have made a real difference to you when you've when you've seen them? Um, let's start with Chris. Director's cut that you really adore. Well, it's got to be Kingdom of Heaven because it transformed what was a great-looking movie um, but a badly flawed, broken film into a really majestic work of art. Um, it, it brought so much more character to the piece uh, made everything far more relevant and far more powerful, and it even made the, the likes of uh, Orlando Bloom <laughs> bloom as an actor, because I thought he was uh, he was tremendous in that movie, and it gave such far more backstory to his character, which made a lot of the things that he does and a lot of his ab- abilities it, it made it gave it sense, made made it relevant. So that for me would perhaps be one of the best director's cuts that I've seen. Seth, God. Um... I'm trying to think. I can't think of anything I, 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 in terms of adore. I think that my favourite director's cut is probably going to be Alien 3. Um, I think that uh, the, the Fincher version um, certainly outweighs considerably um, the story in the seriously bastardised Fox cut. Yeah, that's a, that, that was another one, wasn't it? It was um, such a shame that that never seen the light of day back, back when. Kaz... Well, I was going to say Alien 3, I completely agree with that. But but in light of having just done Payback, that's got to be one of the, alongside Alien 3, one of the most drastically different movies that I've come across in director's cuts. And oddly enough, I, I quite like the director's cuts of some of uh, Mel Gibson's other movies, like Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 2, where it's not a significant change, but there are a couple of extra scenes added in to flesh out the character, um, which are really good. Okay then, well thanks very much lads that's uh, all the time we have this week for this week's round table don't forget if you have any suggestions or you want to raise any comments for discussion in the round tables then you can do so by emailing help at avpodcast.co.uk and that's all we've got time for this week Made by Enthusiasts For Enthusiasts Wow, a free movie, thanks This is the AV Podcast And that's all we have time for for this edition of the AV Podcast Movies Edition. Don't forget, if you have any comments or questions, then send us an email to help at avpodcast.co.uk. Until the next time, bye for now. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Player Review Team were Chris McAnini, Kaz Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.